Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. If you're looking for a really bad movie to watch, might I recommend 1990s Captain America? I feel like that'll be a good primer for Infinity War 2. An interesting fact, J.D. Salinger's son played Captain America in that movie. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you become a long-time listener. And if you're Aaron Judge, Jose Altuve, Steven Strasburg, Lance McCullers, or any of the other injured players on my fantasy baseball team, get well soon, gentlemen. As always, I'm your show host, Jared Correa. And in addition to casting this pod, I am the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting services for law firms, bar associations, and legal vendors. Check us out at redcavelegal.com. You can also listen to my other podcast, The Lobby List, a family travel show I host with my wife, Jessica, on iTunes. Right now, we're going island to island as part of a Hawaii boot camp. So rate us and comment. Here on the Legal Toolkit, however, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about how lawyers find outsourced help. So this is your guide to freelancing. But before I introduce today's guest, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Answer One is the leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800-ANSWER-ONE or online at www.answerone.com. That's www.answer1.com. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Thomson Reuters Firm Central, cloud-based legal practice management that streamlines your day and automates non-billable administrative tasks so you can accomplish more with less. My guest today is Talitha Gray-Kozlowski. Talitha is a co-founder and the COO of Law Clerk, which matches law firms with freelance attorneys. Talitha also still practices law as a partner at Garmin Turner Gordon, a boutique law firm in Las Vegas. Talitha has received numerous state and regional awards for her work with clients in a wide variety of cases. She represents debtors in possession, creditors and ad hoc committees, secured and unsecured creditors, individual debtors, trustees, asset purchasers, and other constituencies in the numerous facets of corporate bankruptcy, liquidation, and workout matters. That sounds thrilling. Welcome to the big show, Talitha Gray Kozlowski. Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure to be here. As I, you know, I'm a big fan of the podcast, so you'll have to forgive me if I'm a little bit starstruck. <laughs> oh, thanks. Your check is in the mail. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. This is going to be fun. And I was telling you before, there is an X-Files episode essentially named after you. So after the show, I would ask that you watch uh, season three, episode 24, which is based on the Grand Inquisitor, a chapter in the Brothers Karamazov, because David Duchovny was an English major. So... That is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we bring it all home here at the Legal Toolkit. So one thing I want to ask you about, because I read your bio at your firm website, you're doing bankruptcy stuff. And I do apologize, but bankruptcy is not necessarily probably the most exciting thing in the world, right? Especially when you're going through it. You also run marathons, right? I have done some marathons. I'm currently training for a duathlon, which is a whole new exciting venture as I don't think I'd been on a bike, you know, since I was 17. So it's it's been exciting to be training for that. Okay. So I know what a triathlon is, which is biking, swimming, and running. So is it duathlon, biking, and running? 
It is. I, I swim like a frog, so um, the triathlon <laughs> is a little, little too much, uh, a little too daunting. But uh, it's the biking and running. All right. So where would you, where would one do a duathlon? I know that there's like an Ironman triathlon in Kona in Hawaii, right? Like, is there a place where you do one of these? This one that I've signed up for is in Catalina Island, so that should be quite lovely. Oh, wait a second. In California? Yeah, yeah. Like the Catalina wine mixer of <laughs> Step Brothers fame? Very, very similar, I think. Oh, wow. That sounds awesome. It seems really painful, but I might want to train to get out there. That's exciting. Well, you're invited. So I, oh. I'll buy you a drink afterwards. Great. All right. I'll hold you to that. All right. Let's get to talking about freelancing and attorneys because this is a cool subject. So let me start by saying that like, I've seen businesses who are non-law firms turning to freelancers on a regular basis. Like they like it because it keeps their costs down. They can hire contractors instead of employees. Uh, they get more freedom to work with different people. And you see services like Upwork and Fiverr in the private sector really making headway. So other than the stock answer, which is like law firms are slower to adopt everything. Like why do you think law firms have been slower to adopt freelancing attorneys as a model? So I think probably the biggest challenge is that the practice of law, as you know, involves really strident ethical and professional restrictions and requirements that other businesses just simply don't have to take into consideration. Our par associations have effectively created stakes, you know, state-sanctioned monopolies that uh, have made it a barrier to some technology to really changing the way we think about the business model and thinking about how we practice. But what's started to come to fruition are, are a number of new um, and interesting marketplaces and new new companies that have spent time working their way through the ethical requirements so that law firms and attorneys can now utilize the services of freelancers and still be ethically compliant and, and not run into the buzzsaw with the bar associations. So I, I think that the biggest hurdle these days is helping attorneys to rethink their business model and to take a moment from being superstar attorneys and to think <laughs> think about how they're going to generate revenue and to give consideration to these new resources that are available that do comply ethically and allow them to take advantage of this incredible resource that has been available to other businesses for quite some time. Yes. All right. So that's, that's a good segue that you make there, like the practical considerations here. Because one side of it is like lawyers are always worried about ethics rules, right? And we'll dive into that a little bit later on. But there's also this like mindset change, the fact that you're adopting a new style of business. So if this is a continuum, and you can tell me if you don't think it is, where law firms start by adopting freelancers for non-substantive work and then move to freelancing lawyers, how does that work in terms of onboarding in a law firm? So I, I think there is some truth to this idea of a, of a continuum. Um, certainly, I think firms that have started outsourcing their receptionists to companies like Answer One, for instance, are more... Yep. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Podcast sponsor. Points for you. I'm a long-time listener. you homework. <laughs> well done. They'll love that. <laughs> but, you know, folks that have begun outsourcing those types of more administrative services... I think are generally more comfortable with an, the idea of outsourcing. And so I think just on a, just sort of a comfort level, it's a little bit easier. But I do think outsourcing legal services is really the core business function of law firms. And I think attorneys need much more education as to how they can do it, how they can do it ethically, how they can make money at it in order to begin adopting it. I, I don't think it's as obvious to many attorneys, whereas, you know, outsourcing your administrative 
services, I think makes much more sense yeah. on a gut level to attorneys. Yeah, I think that's totally true. All right, so Sam will offer him and I've hired out freelancers for other stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the move. I'm gonna hire some freelance attorneys. How does that process work? So I think there's a few things you need to um, first consider. Um, Do you want to have a freelancer that is going to be able to go to court? Or are you looking for somebody just to do written product for you, for instance? Because those are very different functions and have very different ethical considerations. Are you wanting to pay somebody on a flat fee basis so that you have uh, much more control over the expense side, or are you comfortable with an hourly an hourly payment to them? And those are really sort of, I think, important initial ideas to think through. What is your need and what is your comfort level with how you pay for it? And once you've thought through that, I think there's a number of available services that, that meet all of those different requirements. Um, uh, you know, uh, the bar associations, practice management professionals at the bars have a lot of resources that are good places to go. Obviously, this podcast is a fantastic place yep. to go. Naturally, yes. And you have some stuff at your site law clerk as well, I'm sure. Yeah, so exactly. You know, if you're looking for highly skilled freelancers to provide services within your office, you know, a quick Google search um, for freelancers would bring up companies like Montage Legal, which has been around for a number of years, very well respected and provide freelance services that can actually be in your office. If you're looking to be entirely remote, for instance, and not looking to put people in your office, but looking to have, you know, a, a broad network of freelancers and to do it all in the cloud, our service law clerk is a great way to provide that. Similarly, you know, again, a quick quick Google search for appearance counsel. You're going to find companies like Attorneys on Demand, which provide with really limited intake information, will connect you with appearance counsel in your city that's able to make appearances. So there are a number of resources as far as going to the bar, but just simply quick Google search for freelance attorneys um, and freelance services are going to bring up a lot of these companies. And, you know, you can pretty quickly vet who has experience um, and who has been providing these services and get a comfort level with, you know, which one fits your needs. Yeah. yeah. And one of the questions I want to ask you about, which I just thought of as you were saying this, is I think there's this notion out there for attorneys who would consider using freelance lawyers. And I think this relates to like attorneys who get involved in document management products or document review projects with big law firms is like this idea that if you're freelancing as an attorney, you like couldn't cut it as an attorney who worked as an employee. And my guess is that that is not your sense of the industry because you work with attorneys who want to freelance. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. You know, when we first started our platform, our expectation was that our freelancers were probably going to be first years, at least at the outset. And what's been really incredible is that the vast majority of freelance attorneys we encounter are either folks that practice for 20 years and are retiring and want to do a little bit of work. We have a lot of military spouses, which, you know, totally makes sense, right? Um, And just a lot of stay-at-home parents who, you know, ended up having multiple kids and decided trying to balance everything was too much and have this incredible skill set and a desire to do work, but not have a, you know, a nine to, well, in a law firm, nine to nine job. And so it really is remarkable, the talent that is available and interested in providing freelance services. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make. And it kind of blows up a lot of people's expectations. So I am going to freelance for a moment here and move us into a break. Here's all the stuff that you should buy. Do you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices. 
As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call yourself at 800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. All right, thanks for sticking around. I didn't have anything better to do either. But I'm here with Talitha Gray-Kozlowski of Law Clerk. We're talking about freelance attorneys. All right. So Talitha, you just talked a little bit about what types of people are doing freelance work and it's probably different sorts of attorneys than most people who want to hire those attorneys think. And then we talked about the process of getting involved in this. Let's talk about some of the potential risks involved. And you touched on this a little bit with the ethics because there's nothing lawyers love more than throwing cold water on a fun new way of doing things. So you talked a little bit about how there is more leeway now in terms of ethics codes than there's been before. Could you talk a little bit more about attorneys' concerns either with remote staff or freelance staff and how they might be able to do this in an ethical way? Absolutely. And and while there, I do think there's a little bit more leniency in the rules, what I really think has changed is that there's technology and companies that are really focused on ensuring the ability to freelance in a ethically compliant way. And so the biggest issue or one of the biggest issues is, you know, running into the unauthorized practice of law. And so what's important to be thinking about as, you know, you're engaging freelancers are what relationship are they having with you and what relationship are they having with your clients? So for instance, if your freelance attorney is providing written product for you. They're not going to court. They're not talking to the opposing counsel. They're not talking to the client. Then really you may have a 20-year attorney who's acting in the paraprofessional capacity, a, a glorified paralegal. And if you have these type of restrictions on the work they're providing, you don't run afoul of the unauthorized practice of law and you can work with anyone from around the country. So I do corporate bankruptcy work, for instance. So having somebody in Nevada is not nearly as important to me as having somebody who has a good bankruptcy experience. And, you know, uh, big cases often come out of the Second Circuit. So having a freelancer in the Second Circuit able to assist me, you know, is a, is a much better position for me to be in. Yes. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Right. And, and if you're looking at sort of appearance counsel and things like that, making sure you're thinking about where are they barred, making sure they're barred in your jurisdiction. But as long as you're checking those boxes, you can make sure that that you're ethically compliant. Another big thing to think about is confidentiality, like how are you sharing information? So a lot of the technology that's being built and a lot of the freelance um, sites that help connect attorneys and freelancers are working to provide document repositories and management software to ensure that when you're sharing documents, that everything is secure and that everything's confidential. And that's really an important thing to think about when you're evaluating different sites is, is if you're going to be sharing information, how is it being sent and is it secure? Is it maintaining our confidentiality yes. requirements? And you know, as you're evaluating companies, that's going to be front and center on anybody's page who's making sure that they're compliant. No, absolutely. And those are some good general tips for lawyers accessing technology vendors, aside from those who provide freelance attorneys. All right. 
Let's move on to another consideration that I think a lot of attorneys are thinking about when they think about hiring help who's not a traditional employee. So tax considerations and classifications of independent contractors versus employees. Uh, that's been in the news a lot lately. And how do you think attorneys are dealing with that? Or in your experience, how are attorneys dealing with that? And what do you tell them? So again, if you're working through like a montage legal or a law clerk, we're going to handle all of the tax reporting. So oh, beautiful. So it's off your plate. Uh, um, you know, we handle all of the 1099s to the freelancers, et cetera. So you simply, if you're working through one of our, you know, our sites, it takes that stress and burden off your plate. Well, look at that. That was easy. All right, moving on. So last thing I want to ask in this category about practical considerations is, and you touched on this before, but I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into this. Like, I think one of the challenges for hiring freelance attorneys for law firms is because it screws up their traditional billing posture, right? So how are law firms billing for the work done by freelance attorneys? And are there multiple ways that they're trying to figure that out? So multiple, and I have a really sort of interesting statistic. This surprised me I when love I read stats. it. So hit me. <laughs> 69% of the law firms in the 2017 Altman Weil survey reported that they were shifting work to contract temporary lawyers and that in doing so, it, quote, resulted in a significant improvement in firm performance, end quote. Oh, so, good, good, good. Yeah, pretty remarkable um, that you're having, you know, such a significant number of attorneys that in this, you know, last year are, are starting to engage contract attorneys and and certainly wonderful to hear that that it's a positive economic impact, but. Yes, yes. So I, I think people are doing it in several ways. I think a lot of folks are billing out their attorney, their freelancers on an hourly rate. So the Supreme Court has unequivocally stated that paraprofessionals can, and contract attorneys can be billed out at reasonable market rates. Now, obviously reasonable is, you know, subject to your jurisdiction and, and competitive rates. But as long as you're, you're billing your freelance attorney's rates out consistent with, you know, what you would bill a paralegal or an associate out, um, the Supreme Court's been clear that that's permissible. Can't get better than that, yeah. right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, there are some states like Texas, for instance, that require that you identify in your engagement agreement that you utilize contract attorneys, freelance attorneys, but that's simply a disclosure in your engagement agreement. And then you're able to bill out just like you would in associates. So, I think that's probably the most frequent way we're seeing people generate a, a revenue off of utilizing freelance services. That makes sense. Uh, how about anybody using alternative fee methods to do this? So yes, what's interesting is um, we've been seeing it in a couple of ways. One, attorneys are doing a lot more of flat fee appellate work because you know if you know that you're going to pay $2,000 for the initial draft of a brief to a freelance attorney that gives you much easier visibility or much clearer visibility into um, what you're ultimately going to bill the client for an appeal. So you can have a much greater comfort level with flat feeing projects. So I think it's a great way as, as our, all of our clients are demanding certainty in pricing and demanding lower <laughs> yes, rates. Yes. Um, it's a great way for firms to um, have more comfort level doing that. So I think it helps retain clients as well as make sure that when you do provide those flat fee that you don't up on, end up on the wrong side of it. Talitha, you did an excellent job making it through that gauntlet. Now the rest of the show is going to be softball questions, okay? I support that. Good, good. <laughs> now, while I look for my sandals, listen to some more words from our sponsors. 
FirmCentral cloud-based legal practice management software for solo and small firms provides a single online location for all of the tools you need to manage client files and perform client work and offers unrivaled integration with Westlaw. With FirmCentral, you can securely store and organize documents and case files, manage time tracking and billables, and collaborate with clients through a secure client portal from anywhere there is an internet connection. Thanks for coming back. I just want to take a moment to say that salted caramel roasted chickpeas are my jam. Now, let's get back to Talitha Gray-Kozlowski of Law Clerk, who's talking with me about incorporating freelance attorneys into the practice of law. So we talked about one aspect of this, which is fee setting. Let's talk more broadly. So for law firms that are starting to use freelance attorneys, how are they changing their business models generally to accommodate for that? And if so, if they're doing that, what sort of things are they trying to accomplish by doing that? And let's leave fee setting aside because we just talked about that. So one of the things we hear a lot, particularly with solos and and small firms, um, and certainly something that my firm has experienced, is that, you know, you spend two or three years training an associate, getting them up to speed, and then they leave to head to a greener (laughs) pasture, whether it's, uh, you know, hanging their own shingle, whether it's going to a bigger firm or being taken away with the promise of a bigger check. But you know, that's that's one of the really big challenges, though, of being a small firm, because that really has a dramatic impact on your, your overhead. And so what we're seeing is that firms are, instead of maybe hiring associates when they get solely a big case and, and running into concerns about having to subsequently terminate them or concerns over constant, this just constant turnover of associates is what they're doing is effectively engaging a team of freelancers. So, you know, instead of having one associate, maybe they have three or four freelancers that they work with on a pretty frequent basis. So the freelancers learn their, you know, learn how they write, they learn their approach to cases, they effectively gain some of the the benefits you would have training an associate, but without all of the fixed overhead and without when you have, you know, without the issue of if that associate leaves, you're, you know, you're left destitute because you have three or four or five people that you've been working with. So I think it really, it provides a lot of flexibility to firms as far as how they're going to structure or, you know, are they going to be two partners and one associate or are they going to be two partners with five freelancers? And, and that really provides just, I think, a lot of flexibility in how they engage in their practice. Yes. And because uh, small firms especially have a lot of divergence in income in terms of what they're making for any given month, having that flexibility is important. So let's finish up by asking some questions about solo and small firms specifically. Like, I think it's tempting in those environments for lawyers to just evolve into this, I do everything on my own strategy. And it's easier for them in some ways, even if it's harder in the long run. So How and why is it better for attorneys to hire freelancers than to do it themselves or to make another internal hire? Solo and small firms I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. Um, I think often solo attorneys run into the issue of a good client comes in and they've been doing litigation work with them for years and they say, hey, I need a residential lease. And you certainly have the ability to do a residential lease. And, you know, you're just going to have to spend some time researching it and thinking about it. So you spend 
you know, six hours doing a residential lease because you want to keep the client when, you know, you could have paid $200 and have somebody who writes them in their sleep do it for you. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, that's not a good use of your time because time is money <laughs> as an attorney. So. All right. So speed, that's a good advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and bringing in this additional subject matter expertise because you can take advantage of these skills Again, you know, you could do it yourself, but that's just not the best use of your time. And, and it ultimately is not the best use, of the best way to generate a profit. The other thing is really, I think, flexing up and down with cases. Um, there's 24 hours in a day. And I think by you engaging freelancers, solo attorneys and, and small firms have the ability to take on bigger cases because, you know, while they may still work a 10 hour day, you can effectively work a 30 hour day if you you have the use of freelancers and it lets you bring in these bigger cases without saddling yourself with permanent overhead that can be challenging when that big case concludes. Gotcha. Okay. Those are three good answers. All right. Last practical, technical, legal question. So here's the $60,000 question. So how could small law firms and solo attorneys use freelancers to grow their practice? Because if a solo or small firm attorney is not looking to become the next great American novelist, they want to grow their practice. So I, I think it's a number of ways. Um, one, if you're not doing all of the work yourself, you're able to be out there marketing. You're out there in generating more clients. Um, I think as attorneys, many of us often sort of get stuck in the grind. And if you're spending 10 hours drafting a motion, you're not out there generating business and, and making the contacts you need to make. So, you know, if you you outsource that first draft of your motion, you now have five, six, seven hours that you could be out there marketing that before you would have been at a desk and you're still generating a profit off of it because you're still able to bill that freelance attorney at, you know, at, with an additional reasonable rate. So, you know, you may be paying them $100 an hour and you may be billing them out at $50 an hour. So you're still making a profit and giving yourself significant time to continue generating business. So it really is a great way to grow your practice without, you know, saddling yourself with significant overhead. Well done. Now you live in Las Vegas. Yes. You practice in Las Vegas. What's your favorite television reality show set in Las Vegas? Oh, it has to be Pawn Stars. Okay, good choice. That's great. I would, uh, I like that one. Counting Cars, I think is good too. And as a follow-up question, how big of a fan of the Golden Knights are you following their Stanley Cup run? Oh, huge. It's been um, really remarkable how how it really brought this whole community together after the October shooting. And it's just, um, it's been really, really incredible to see everybody rally around the team. But I had the luxury of going to two of the playoff games and oh, very uh, nice. just absolute blast. And we're, we can't wait for next year. Over under on the number of bobbleheads you have on your desk, three. So I don't have that many bobbleheads, <laughs> but ask me how many shirts I have. <laughs> Okay, ready? Over, under on how many shirts you have in or around your desk? 17. We're getting close. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Uh, are we talking like jerseys or are we talking just random shirts? Oh, just very, you know, you have to have, you have to have the garb for the games. So you got the t-shirt. Oh, oh wow. All right. So you're legit. 20, 20 plus? 20 plus? Really? I, that's probably, that's probably closer in the ballpark. Oh my God. Well, I have a lot of shirts around my home, but uh, some people choose to call that laundry. Um, <laughs> but you have like legitimate fan going where awesome. All right. I think that's probably enough of my uh, meandering. So this will do it for yet another episode of the legal toolkit. We've been talking with Talitha Gray Kozlowski of law clerk about freelancing lawyers. 
Now, I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America, and the legal market. If you're feeling nostalgic from my dulcet tones, however, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks again to Talitha Gray-Kozlowski of Law Clerk for making an appearance as my guest today. All right, Talitha, tell everyone how they can find out more about you and about Law Clerk. Wonderful. We are available at lawclerk.legal and any questions can be directed to support at lawclerk.legal and we hope you uh, check us out and, and give us a try. Check out Law Clerk. Look for Talitha at the Golden Knights games and at marathons around the country. Thanks again to Talitha Gray Kozlowski of Law Clerk for appearing on the show today. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. Feel free to go about the rest of your day as you normally would. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.